We can be dream makers, nurturing, compassionate. Nosotros podemos ser más unidos. We can be anything. I'm Grant Oliphant. This is We Can Be. Today we're talking with Tammy Thompson, a remarkable woman who works to lessen the stigma of poverty and broaden the circles of opportunity for those who are struggling. And she does it from a foundation of deep understanding that comes from her own personal journey. Tammy works with Circles, a national organization that reaches across social and economic barriers to help eliminate poverty, and is the producer of the documentary, We Wear the Mask, The Hidden Faces of Women in Poverty. Tammy, it's a delight to have you here. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So you are the incoming director of the Greater Pittsburgh chapter of an organization called Circles. Yes. And I want to start right there talking about what Circles is and why the Pittsburgh chapter is significant. Circles is a national anti-poverty program that was created to help bridge the gap of social capital, which we've discovered is one of the primary successes in helping people escape poverty. The way the Circles model works is we have a family or an individual who is living below the 200% federal poverty guidelines. The allies that we bring in to work with them are generally middle to upper class individuals. So people living in poverty, generally their entire circle, their entire network is comprised of people who are in the exact same situation that they are in. So if you want to do something different like own a home or start a business or complete higher education or anything that's going to help move you out of poverty, you don't have someone in your immediate circle who can guide you to what steps need to be taken. So allies can bring a different perspective because they generally have the things that our families are trying to get. They also are bringing their networks, their social capital to the community. We ask our participants to commit to a minimum of 18 months in the program. But what I can tell you is that since early 2015 when we started this program, no one has left this is home for a lot of people. It is a, a judgment-free zone. They are free to express themselves. They see this community as their secondary family. My name is Deshawn Daniels, mother of three, yes. My daughter is 18, my son is eight, and my youngest son is four. I used to live in East Liberty Gardens, um, which they, you know, moved everyone out and tore the, the place down. It's been a, a struggle getting the rent together, paying bills. They say, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul. I did that a lot. But I got a letter to meet with a group of people to become a homeowner. And I'm like, really? <laughs> Circles has historically been a rural program. Mm -hmm. Pittsburgh is the first example of it working in an urban context. What are you learning about poverty in an urban context that is either different or the same as the rural context? Very quickly, I learned we had to include discussion and education about race, culture, and diversity, stereotypes and biases. Here in Pittsburgh, what we found is that 98 to 99% of our participants in the East Liberty model were African-American. 
99 to 100% of our allies who wanted to come in and help were white. In order to do what Circles is meant to do, which is help people develop intentional relationships that will help bridge social capital, we have to have discussions about race, culture, diversity, socioeconomic differences, classism. And that's what's made our Circles East Liberty Group in particular so strong, because we are forcing people to do things that they wouldn't organically do. In the first meeting, I'm like, who they got me sitting around? Because it was a different mixture of people, different backgrounds, different, just, just, just different. It was interesting. The conversations were things that I would never, ever think of talking about. We would have discussions and people would wind up crying. You know, like, oh, you go through that? Well, how do you, how do you manage? Oh, I can't even get it out. <laughs> it, it was just touching to see the different sides and the different lives of how people live. We're helping them to increase their poverty IQ, which is so important in addressing issues of poverty. We know that when people have low IQs of poverty, the narratives and the negative stigmas about people in poverty continue and grow. Let me push you on that a little bit. What are some of the misconceptions that people have about poverty? Oh, that's an easy one. The first one is that people are lazy, right? They're not working hard enough to get out. They are taking and not giving anything back. They just want people to hand things to them. We get people who come in to volunteer who have told us that they had never really had any real and intentional interaction with people in poverty. And being immersed in this community, they've learned so much about how hard people are really working. And when you're trying to educate them to elevate their poverty IQ, what are some of the key things you want them to know? What are some key things that you'd want our listeners to know about people who are living in poverty? We want people to recognize their privilege, and their power, and that they can actually do something about it. Volunteering at a food bank is amazing. Going and serving people at a homeless shelter is amazing. But one of the things that I don't like about those types of service opportunities for myself is that I don't know what happens to those people the next day. Mm. I know that they had a great meal today, but what are they going to eat tomorrow? When you come and you volunteer and you serve in a Circles community, you get to immerse yourself in the lives of people and actually see how hard they're working and how their children are working. And you get to see their growth as they participate in this program. Tammy, in your neighborhood and, in fact, all over our community, gentrification has become a hot issue. And along with it, the notion of affordable housing as a solution. We're actually seeing that in cities around the country so I'm wondering how you're seeing that in your work on the ground in East Liberty. Some of my thoughts are very unpopular, I must admit. I know that some of this thing that's happening is happening because of the real estate market. And it's not just a local market. This is a national epidemic that housing markets are increasing faster than wages are increasing. People aren't earning what they need to earn to be able to afford market rate housing. We have so many people who still qualify for subsidized affordable housing who are working 
every single day. There is an adequate amount of affordable housing in this city for the vulnerable population of people that we will always have to provide affordable housing for. The issue is, what happens when we have so many working poor who still qualify for that housing and it's taking up that vulnerable population's housing? Unless we're thinking, what do we do to fill this gap in these low wages that people are earning? How do we enforce corporations to pay their fair share by way of wages? Then we're always going to be behind the eight ball as far as affordable housing goes. Just to bring it back to circles, Tammy, are those conversations that you're having with the groups or are those happening in your head? Everything that happens in my head comes out in circles. (laughs) Good or bad, right? Because education is key. Understanding that there are policies and systems in place that are keeping people from being where they need to be financially and economically is just as important as teaching them how to manage the things that they can control, right? There have been people who have lost their ability to live in East Liberty because the housing market has dictated it. Homeowners who struggled for over 20 years just barely being able to hold on to their properties because the the values were so low are now getting the chance to take advantage of a housing market that makes their investment valuable. We are making people villains because they are doing with their property what a capitalistic country dictates they can do, which is earn a profit. Are there people who have had to leave East Liberty? Yes. Is that a developer issue? It's not. Is it an individual property owner's issue? It's not. It is a federal government issue. It is a local government issue. It is an issue that has to be addressed to make sure that affordable housing is being replaced at the rate that it needs to be replaced. But again, I'm going to go to it's a wage issue. So gentrification is tricky. People don't like to see change, particularly when they haven't felt like they've had the opportunities to benefit from that change. I want people to see their communities being redeveloped into something that other people want to come to as a good thing. I want people to see crime reduction and improved quality of housing as a good thing. And they're only going to see it as a good thing if they're able to take advantage of it. Tammy is all too familiar with poverty. It's an issue she has been facing since first moving to Pittsburgh as a child. You grew up in West Virginia. I did. And your dad worked in a coal mine for a period of time. And then what happened? Well, in the late 70s, the coal mines started getting a lot more dangerous and a lot less abundant. My father got tired of working in the coal mines, got tired of scratching and begging for work. And he had a cousin who lived here who worked in the steel mills who told him if he could get up here, he would help him get a job. And so he packed up our car, my brother and I, our dog and my mom, 
and our little car and everything that we could fit in the car. And we drove here with $65 in his wow. pocket. That's all he had, 65 bucks. I always think about that beautiful view that you get coming through the tunnel when you first come to Pittsburgh. It's beautiful in the daytime. It's beautiful in the evening. It's just a beautiful view. And it's so hopeful. It's like this this hopeful view, like everything's going to be okay. And we got off the exit, Boulevard of the Allies, and car broke down. As children, my brother and I were eight and nine, respectively. This is an adventure for us. We're having a blast. Uh, We had no idea over the next couple of days that this job that my dad thought was coming here wasn't here. He didn't. There was no job. And we were supposed to be living with my father's cousin until he had worked and earned enough money to get his own place. But he was very resentful that that job wasn't here. And so he turned down the offer of staying with the cousin. And we ended up living in this car. Not a great decision. (laughs) Very impulsive decision that set the tone for what the next 20 to 30 years of my life would be. Scraping, scratching, and trying to escape homelessness and hunger and all of the things that come with poverty. You've talked about how poverty imprints itself Mm -hmm. on your psyche um, as a result of experiences like that and then manifests years later. Has that happened for you? Oh, 100%. Can you give us an example? I can give you a thousand (laughs) examples, but I'll keep it short. I talk to my clients and the people that I work with all the time about triggers, Mm -hmm. right? Triggers, things that take you back to those traumas, regardless of how far away from the trauma you feel that you've gotten, there's always a trigger. For me, my fear of being hungry and not having any food has sort of taken over my life. To this day, I still struggle with going into the grocery store like a quote-unquote normal person and buying just enough and just what you need. I have a need to have an overabundance of food in my house at all times. Mm. And that started when I had my children because I remember being in a house for four days with no food. I remember what it's like to be really hungry. And that memory triggers my need to overspend on food. As you got older, you developed an interest in real estate. Mm -hmm. And then you worked for a period of time, ironically, around the 2008 financial crash with a nonprofit that was focused on housing and foreclosures, Mm -hmm. which I think was a pretty draining experience for you. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I, you know, I found myself at a job for two years right in the height of the mortgage foreclosure crisis. So for two years, every single day, I worked with people who were in the midst of foreclosure, losing their homes every single day. And when you talk about triggers, that work, it was something that I couldn't separate from because every day I was reminded of what it was like being homeless. And so I was driven by that, though, because I was intent on saving everybody. I felt like I had to save everybody, and uh, I knew that I couldn't. Two years was a long time to to do that work, and we did a lot of great work helping people, but we lost, a lot of people lost their homes, and it was very difficult for me. And then you went into eventually this work, working Mm -hmm. with circles, where you're still working with people in poverty and helping to get them out. How do you avoid being triggered every day? I don't. The memory that 
that life is just literally two steps behind me is what energizes me. It's what makes me passionate about this work. Uh, The way I keep myself healthy is I make sure that I have some wins under my belt, right? I'm actually a PHFA certified housing counselor, and I do a lot of work developing homeownership education. So finding people uh, ways to become first-time homeowners is what makes me feel awesome. And we do that in circles. And some of my most memorable interactions with people is helping get them into homeownership, something that they never, ever even considered for themselves. My name is Kiana Wassler, and I am a Circles ally for Deshaun Daniels. I had just bought a house, and I wanted to assist someone else in their journey to purchase a house. I've been with Deshaun for three years, and we've become really good friends. She works really, really hard at her job, and she's just very kind-hearted, and I'm excited to have her in my life. And this administration today, here and now, declares unconditional war on poverty in America. What would you say to people who say, look, we tried dealing with poverty, you know, with the war on poverty Mm -hmm. under Johnson, and we've tried repeatedly since, and we've thrown all these government programs at the poor, and what they would rather do is say, none of that stuff works because you make bad decisions. Yes. How do you react to that sort of harsh condemnation and judgment, and how can the rest of us be helpful in not having that be the perception of people who are struggling with poverty? I'm used to it, unfortunately, at this point. I know that that's what people think of us. I develop programming based on the fact that I know that's what people think of us. We can't worry about what people think of us, Mm. right? What people think of us is none of our business. As a person who was born into generational poverty and spent a great deal of my life working my way out of poverty, I always knew I was supposed to be doing something different. Mm. I always knew it. As a little girl, I knew I was supposed to be somewhere else, but I didn't know how to get there. The important thing about developing any type of anti-poverty programming is that it cannot be cookie cutter programming. People are in poverty for very different reasons. They've been in poverty for different lengths of time, and they have very different barriers that are preventing them from getting to success. Unless we are creating individualized plans based on the extent of trauma that people have been through, and until that trauma is addressed, They will continue to spin their wheels, regardless if they're working every day, if they're going to school, if they're doing all the things that society says that you have to do to make it to the next level. I agree that we've wasted over $23 trillion since the inception of the war on poverty because the programming that's being developed is not truly being developed to get people out of poverty. It's being developed to manage poverty. It's being developed to keep people in poverty. You know, this notion of trauma and its impact on people in poverty has been the subject of a great deal of research Mm -hmm. lately. And what it seems to illustrate is that poverty is a form of trauma. Mm -hmm. Studies have also found that people who are born in certain zip codes, their life chances in terms of their ability to move on to a different form of lifestyle or a different economic strata is determined so much by their neighborhood that they're born into precisely because of that trauma. 
Do you find that the work of circles is able to help people rise above that? I do, because we've been hearing that our whole lives. Mm -hmm. If you were born here and you went to school in this XYZ neighborhood, this is it for you, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not intentional teaching. It's just a matter of course that when you look out of your window and you see what you see every day, you feel the disdain in your teacher's voices or your neighbors or the people that you interact on on a daily basis, you start to feel like maybe this is it for me. Maybe was, this... that, was that your experience? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. You know, and it didn't help after I started having children. I had five children out of wedlock by the time I was 22 years old, and everywhere I went, I got the shame on you face. In people's mind, I was another statistic. And I did stay in that mental space for a while. You know, I believed the rhetoric. I believed the judgments that I got everywhere I went, that this was it for me. There's no program that can help you get beyond that unless you're focusing on helping people change the way they see themselves. That is how we're going to move people forward. One of the things that we as a foundation struggle with is the worsening divide between the haves and have-nots in our society and in global society. What language do you use to try and persuade people who are well-off that this is their issue too? Oh, boy, that's, that's a great question. I believe that there are groups of people who, no matter what you say to try to convince them, they don't care. Mm -hmm. I will not spend my energy, the energy that I have left, (laughs) I will not spend it trying to convince those people otherwise. What I will spend my energy on is talking to people like you and your listeners, people who want to do something, people who want to understand what's really going on, and people who want to use their resources and their privilege and their talents and skills to help other people reach financial security and self-sufficiency and some sort of peace Mm -hmm. in their lives. We need to reserve our energy for the people who need us most. Like many issues today, poverty is one that divides us. At a time when the federal government seems gridlocked to the point of inaction, The solutions to the issues we face are coming from local sources in communities where bridging divides and implementing change happens on a person-to-person level. Part of this solution is educating people about their communities, and Tammy does just that. Part of your educational effort is doing poverty simulations to help people who haven't had an experience with poverty understand something of what it's like. But you've also produced a documentary film called We Wear the Mask, The Hidden Faces of Women in Poverty. Mm -hmm. What are the unique challenges that women face in poverty? Well, the first is that we are expected to be a lot stronger than we should have to be. Uh, We are expected to suck it up, move forward. Those are the choices that you made, live with it, deal with it, and keep moving. That thinking prevents us from asking for help when we need to ask for help. So we spend a lot of time trying to manage this thing on our own. And the longer we spend time believing that it's 
just up to us to f- figure it out the longer we're going to be in poverty. Um, I wanted to create this film because I wanted people, first of all, to see that poverty is not what, what people think it is. These women in this film work harder than anybody I've ever come in contact with. I'm a young mom and I go check from check. I live in a project for right now. That's only a stepping stone for me. Like I don't, I don't see it as poverty. I just see it as the beginning. For the first 30 years of my life, I was struggling with poverty. There were times, many, many, many times, where I cooked dinner for my kids, and I waited till they were done, and whatever they didn't eat, that's what I ate. I don't think my kids knew half the stuff that I went through, so I think they just thought I was super mom, trying to do all this stuff and make it seem effortless when I was falling apart, you know, on the inside. Two of them have worked themselves completely out of poverty and are 100% self-sufficient, but they still carry the scars of the trauma that they had to deal with in their experiences in poverty. And I want people to see that that trauma can, in some cases, be everlasting. We have to prepare ourselves as service providers, as funders, as community stakeholders. We have to prepare ourselves to see people differently. I created that film for that purpose as well. I want people to reevaluate how they do this work. So would you say that this new approach, which is community-centric, on the ground, working through small networks, the concept of circles, is it working? I believe it is, and, and I believe that we have to train our minds to see success differently. Historically, we've seen success as how many people did you serve, right? Did you serve a 1,000 people mm-hmm. this year? And serving people and moving people to me are two different right. things. I prefer, uh, like you said, to work in communities, right? Small groups that are highly impactful. Because if we are properly serving people, those people will in turn properly serve. And they will extend the message as ambassadors to to this fight. That's what I want to do. I want to continue to focus on the people who really want to see change and empower them to make change happen. Does any one story leap out for you of as an example of somebody who's overcome the odds, aside from yourself. All right. So I can name two in particular. So you may be familiar with East Liberty Gardens, housing project that was torn down, uh, part of the Choice neighborhood system. And these two women had been living in East Liberty Gardens for between five and ten years. They'd been there for a long time. And mentioned to them that there was an opportunity that if they did the work and then they came and joined, that we could help them become homeowners. They were very skeptical. They absolutely did not believe that that was something possible. I mean, there was a lot of eye rolling and sure, sure, shores Because remember, these are people who have heard all of these promises before. Both of those women have been with Circles for three years. They both are currently pre-qualified for mortgages to purchase homes, one in East Liberty, one in Garfield. With my surprise, Tammy was right. I will be buying a house next month. My kids are excited. I'm excited. We ride past every day. <laughs> we ride past every day on the way to school and on the way home. I didn't think that I would even ever get to this point. It, it, it's a good feeling.
These are two women who nobody, and I'm just going to say this, even the people who designed Choice Neighborhood did not expect homeownership to happen for them. There was no plan for homeownership for anybody coming out of East Liberty Gardens, and we have two. Every day, I run into people who are overcoming the odds. They grow up in these neighborhoods, these zip codes that, you know, sort of destined them to being stuck where they are. And I see them surviving. So I'm inspired by people who are able to survive poverty because it is a war. And just like I respect veterans who go off to war and fight and come back intact, I, I have the same reverence for people who survive poverty. So I'm inspired every day by people who get up and continue to fight and, and are working to get beyond survival and into thrival. I'm inspired by them every day. If poverty is indeed a war, then we need to understand it is a war with ourselves. As Tammy so clearly illustrates, poverty can be a trap, a source of trauma, and a tragedy. It's a trap, not a choice that people make. It's a trauma that brings lifelong consequences. And it's a tragedy because we can address it and we actually know how to help people begin to emerge from poverty. So poverty can also be, with the work of people like Tammy, a transition. It's been said that it's impossible to hate someone whose story you know. And her program, the work she does every day through circles, illustrates how we can liberate people through bringing them together in circles of opportunity and opening up new doors into a future that they never imagined and that perhaps we didn't either. Mm -hmm.